Parenting's hard, you don't know what to do. You're blaming your kids, but it's probably you. You love your kids and that you can trust. Just remember your kids don't suck. Welcome to your kids don't suck. Cultivating closeness with your children through non-coercive conscious parenting. We're your hosts, Kara Tedstone and Rathia Lee. Let's dive in and grow together. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Your Kids Don't Suck. And Rathia and I are so excited today because we have, um, I'm kind of a fan of our guest today, a special guest, and her name is Tanisha Henderson. And uh, she's a conscious parent to five kids, you guys. So I'm so excited to talk about what that is like. I found you, Tanisha, through Vivek Patel. And Vivek, you know, we talk about uh, Vivek here on the podcast quite frequently, and he was a guest of ours as well. And we're always looking for more folks who we can kind of feature as guests or just follow for their content online who are conscious parents and kind of spread the word of what we do in our day-to-day parenting. And I found you, Tanisha, on Facebook, your page Kid Advice. And I think Mm -hmm. you had to start a new page, right? Because you were hacked. Yeah, sadly, I was hacked. You were hacked. It wasn't, it was called Kid Advice and now it's called Kid Advice with Tanisha Henderson. Yeah, that's it. And we'll say that again at the end so that, you know, everybody can know where to find you and your other socials. But yeah, I think our goal for today is to just chat and hear about your day to day, answer some questions and um, yeah, just get curious about like what really your life looks like, how you got here. And I am so curious about just how you I think my biggest thing is like I'm in awe of how you do this with five kids, because we all know in conscious parenting, it's a mindset. So mm-hmm. the way that you're navigating five children with that mindset is just completely different than the way I navigate one. It just is, you know, there's so many differences and there's so much there that I like truly, I kind of get emotional. The way that you do what you do, I find it amazing. I really find it amazing. And I feel like, yes, you deserve a thousand awards and a million dollars. So I just want to say thank you for being here because you do, I do find you really encouraging everything that you post. I read it and I'm like, okay, holy shit. Like I can, I can do this. We can do this. And so thank you for being here. Uh, We're so excited. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you started with that whole mind shift thing because boom, that's it. Like hands down, anybody I help or talk to, that's always like the starting point. Like, how do you see children? Yeah. You're going to go based on what you start off with every time. Yeah. That's huge. And and I know people, when they people hear that I have five kids, they're like, and you do this with five kids. But I, and again, I think it's connected to that mindset shift. That's why I'm going to treat each one of my children in the way that I want them to treat others and in the way that I want them to know they deserve to be treated. So the mindset is children do well when they can. Children absolutely want to live well with me. They don't want to be in conflict with me. So once the mindset shifts to my children want to do well with me, my children want collaboration, my children want a healthy relationship, then it doesn't, it it breaks up that whole childism. Mm. basically (laughs) well that's the other thing because people do get they get very like even me I find myself wow how does she do it with five kids because we look at it like how do you get through the day with all the scheduling and the expectations and the boundaries and the limits and all of the like coercion that we typically think of when we think of like running a family 
But you're so right that at the end of the day, it's really just about treating them like individuals and navigating that stuff as it comes up from that mindset. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and people, yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the head. People think, how do you get them to do everything you want them to do? Yeah. Well, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're because, not running. It's yeah. It's like, it's not, you're not running some sort of like daycare or <laughs> right. Like a school It's just meeting them where they're at over and over and over. Yeah. And we, we have routines because the brain feels safe when it can predict what's going to happen. Yeah. So we absolutely have a routine, but it's not strict and it's not rigid because nobody lives well with rigidity and strictness. So they have a, there's a flow of the day. We get up, you can choose your breakfast. They know what time we're going to start school. Um, They know if they're not in the mood to start at that time, no biggie. Find your mood, get into it, and let's get it done. So they know, like, it's a format. So that if I see them doing something that's kind of out of the format, I don't have to, like, crunch down on them. I can go over and say, what's what's going on today? This is kind of out of our format. So can you help me understand what's happening? And they always do. And we always figure out how to get back to the format if they can. Or it's a day where my mom not in format mode. We're going to have to switch it. And I trust the process because the next day it always snaps back. And I think that's part of the fear. People think, you know, all the same if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. And it's a mindset thing. I've never found it to be true. Yeah, like a mouth for your back or bad habits or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) This this fear of forecasting into their future is huge. And I will tell you, it is a battle to fight against that voice that says, well, they're going to be like this. Mm, They're not. (laughs) They're not. Tanisha, can you give an example of one of your kids being off the routine, going their own way? And you say, hey, what's going on? Can you give an example of how that would look and what could happen? Yes. So I'm currently, uh, my seven-year-old is very, I want to do it my way. Okay. And so when he's having that kind of day and I call him over to the table and I'm like, cause we still do reading together. I'm like, it's time for reading. And he's like, boom, not going to do it. Right. So I, I listen first and I ask, you know, um, is there something I could do that would help you be ready to do this? And if there is, if he says, yes, I want my, you know, drink first, I'm like, bet, get your drink. (laughs) He'll get his drink and he's ready if it's that kind of day. But if it's the kind of day where he's like, no, there's nothing you can do to make me ready. I honor it, right? Because I'd want somebody to honor it for me. And I say, okay, well, I have other things I have to do around the house. I'm going to go do my thing and I'll come back and check in with you or you come get me and we can do this when you're ready. And then and then he's ready. And then at some point he's ready. (laughs) Right. That's always the question. It has never not happened. Wow. He has never not come to me ready. But again, I when I say I drop it, I drop it. Like, I don't like tiptoe around him and like, you know, try to rub it in. No, I drop it. And he sometimes he'll even say, I want to do my math first. And I'm say, OK, well, go ahead to math. He's my artist. So he'll sometimes he'll draw for like an hour and a half. Doodle, 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 doodle. And then he'll come over. And if I'm in the middle of washing dishes, yeah, I'm a little perturbed. <laughs> but I remember like this is what we're doing. We're teaching him to honor his body so that he will always honor the body of another person 
he's ready. And if I'm not ready, because this is a mutually beneficial relationship, I can say to him, I'm not ready. <laughs> I need to finish these dishes. So either you can bring your breeding close to me or you can wait or you can do another part of your assignment without me. And then he chooses. Now, I want to be honest because some moments are very intense because we know children have emotional dysregulation. So if he is having an emotionally dysregulated moment and he cannot wait, I don't say will not, he cannot wait. I have to stop washing the dishes. It's almost like if you see a house on fire, do you say house? Okay, I know you're on fire, but I'm not going to put any water on you <laughs> because I'm washing the dishes, right? That would be crazy. No, my child is on fire, like literally burning with emotion and needing me. And so I stop and I tune into him because it's, it's immediate. And I know the fear is, well, you're teaching him that he's supposed to expect that from everybody else. Again, it's a lie. Or also that, you know, your kid is going to act up to get what they want. Oh, yes, that one. You know? Ooh, so huge. That's a big fear from par from parents. They're really, really trying to strive for obedience. So I think some of the limits that they inadvertently set for themselves is that their expectations are not going to get met. And then therefore, they're going to have this horrible, miserable life with their kid because they're never able to enforce anything. Oh, yeah, I agree. It's a big fear. How did it's you get big... past that? How, like, that's what I want to know is how did, how did you get here? What's your, um, what was your path? I want to know that too. Have you done it since they were born or yeah. did you fall oh, into it or? I fell into it. I really wish I could say that I'd done it since they were born. I was raised by a mama who, who never read a parenting book. Okay. She got pregnant at 15 and 18. Okay. But she had lived a traumatic childhood. And I think she was very determined not to not to do anything that her parents had done. And so she kind of fell into no punishment, no yelling, no forcing. Wow. Right. But but in the back of her mind, because I've asked her right in the back of her mind, she says she did it because we knew better. So she felt like she had an element of control around us and that we just didn't test the limits. But no, we had a love and respect for her because she had a love and respect for us. But sadly, I think I'll tell people all the time, children can read your brainwaves. So I think I kind of read her brainwaves. And so when I went into parenting, I thought that some children need to be yelled at. Some children need to be punished. Some children need to be hit. I was the lucky one who didn't need it. Mm. And so I entered parenting with that mindset. I was very authoritarian. I was very do it, like I say, or go to timeout. And then what and, happened? And then what happened was I was given a two-year-old who was like, ain't going to happen. <laughs> I'm so grateful for him in retrospect because he was just not about the oppression and he was not going to have it. And we were battling. Mm -hmm. And I remember driving one day and a commercial came on about children who were in abusive homes and I'm bawling like, oh, these poor babies. And I believe in, in a God. And, and I felt like at that moment, God said to me, how can you cry for those babies? But you go home and treat your children like this. And I was undone. <laughs> it changed the whole trajectory because I felt like in that moment, God said, I don't parent you that way. I don't come down on you when you mess up. I guide you, I lovingly join with you, and I understand you. And at that moment, there was this switch of, 
how dare you do something to your children that nobody ever did to you for one and the God you love doesn't. And then I went on a search. I started reading things. I started joining groups who called me an abuser. <laughs> like I was for it because I was like, I need to hear this. But again, I, it was a, it was a mindset shift. By then I was ready. I was like, call me all the names. Tell me all the things because clearly I've been doing this wrong and I could see the effects of it on my children. So it wasn't instant because it's not possible. Even when I help parents, I tell them it's not like, yeah, this is a journey. <laughs> yeah. Except yeah. journey. And that's been the biggest part for me is being a person who reflects at the end of the day, <laughs> being a person who's always learning and just really tapping into that question of, would you want somebody to do it to you? Mm-hmm. Would you be okay if an outsider did this to you or to your child? And then it's never failed me. Like there's never been a time where my child has turned into this, I'm going to run over you. (laughs) Like, and so I think that helps because there is always this thought of they're going to switch on me. But again, that, that goes back to childism. When you don't believe that a child comes here with the desire and the ability to work well with you, well, you'll treat them like a potential villain. Mm-hmm. because of that fear well and also in that moment you don't understand that you have all the power and that they desperately need you and that every time they're in conflict with you it's actually terrifying for the child because they need you they need you on every level i think i think p- parents get so triggered then they they literally think they're the child and the, that their kid is the oppressor they do and yeah. and do a lot of brain reading. And that's the way the brain is made to survive. Mm-hmm. Like the brain is made to see negativity and, and, and can protect yourself. And then there's such this deep connection between child and parent. Like, oh my gosh, it's, it, it gets all wonky and stuff, but it's very deep because this person is, if you birthed them, they lived in you. And now their cells are actually inside of you and your cells are actually inside of them. And, and I will tell you, raising sons, I was given four sons. It's, and, and we know about toxic masculinity, right? So I'm just going to, there. my son is 14 now. He's tall. He's got a big voice. He's, you know, and so there are times when it will rear up in me, like he's a man, he's attacking me. And I literally have to like, mm. that's your baby. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's your baby. If he was in a relationship with a woman romantically, yes, this would be bad, but that's your baby. Mm-hmm. He just needed that connection from you as his mama, and he does not have the skills to say that just yet. Tone it down. Like you said, Rithia, it's more like a they need he needs you so bad right now. He needs you so much right now. Yeah. And just being able to like turn off those, ooh, those voices that just go haywire. Tanisha, you must work and coach a lot of uh, parents of color, I imagine. I do. Who have such strong beliefs that discipline and punishment is necessary for safety. Um, It's very deep work um, because, you know, they just started studying epigenetics, which has said that, you know, genes are passed down to us from my ancestors. So like if you had a grandmama who saw her father drown, then inside of your cells is her trauma, which makes you now afraid of water. 
Wow. Right. And if that story didn't get passed down to you and your child, you're trying to teach your child to swim and you're like, well, I don't know how to swim. And, you know, you got all this stuff rearing up. Whew. But so so when I help black parents, right, I'm, I, I always keep in mind slavery because we got passed down genes. And so especially with black boys, you know, if you getting afraid because your black son wants to wear a hoodie. I'm not going to shame you for that <laughs> because I get it inside your body is rearing up this memory of a great, great ancestor being hung on a tree. And, and we're going to take note of that. <laughs> we're going to try to dispel it because we are free, right? There's this dichotomy of we're free now and we carry the genes of oppression that our body is reacting to. And yeah, like you said, it's for safety. You know, you couldn't, I couldn't have a child. Back then, my child couldn't look at a white man in the eye. You're going to have to put your head down. How am I going to teach you to put your head down if I don't oppress you myself as your mama? Whew. So breaking that um, is heavy and hard, but I, I don't force it because then I become the oppressor, right? So there are a lot of moms who absolutely drop out of my program because they can't. I hate that. But I, I have to also understand it because they're fighting a, a much different battle, especially for me, because my mama broke it. Right. So to come to them and say you, too, can <laughs> when everything in their body is saying, no, mm. this will keep my child alive. And mm. if, if I have to raise a child that's broken for them to be alive, then it's a risk that they're willing to take. Because it's a risk that's been passed down to them, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to break down how that is no longer needed. Is that right? Yeah. But there is another way to keep your kids safe. There is another way. Oh, my goodness. There is another way. Yes, I have to I have to slowly break that down to them and, and remembering that they want it broken down. I, I heard from this other podcast where when you're when your brain is presented with a new idea, <laughs> it automatically pushes it out like, boom, get out of here. You're not safe. <laughs> but if they hear it again, they might tiptoe up to the gate and kind of peek in like a second time. <laughs> and then if they hear it again, they might pick up to the gate and like lift up the gate a little bit to say, okay, this feeling a little bit safer. So every when I get a mom or a dad who's willing, that's what I try to remember. If they automatically shut me off, it's boundaries, right? I say, okay, but this is what I found. My very first client shut me off. And then a few weeks later, she came back. And I gave her some more and then she shut me off. Right. But a few weeks later, she came back and now the gate is open because, right, she she did the work to kind of like soothe her brain to say, I can do this. I can engage with these scary thoughts <laughs> that because um, traditional parenting primes you to be afraid of the what if. Mm -hmm. it, it was successful. <laughs> right. Like. It was successful. It primed you to not want to open the gate to something because you don't know what could happen. I mean, in conscious parenting blows that out the out the water. And Rathia and I always talk about how this is our struggle every single day. And so I'm so curious about what does your inner dialogue look like when that Ooh. hits you? What are your tools and what do you say to yourself? 
I know you're saying that's my baby. Yeah, I do a whole lot of that's my baby. Um, I do a whole lot of getting curious, right? Um, get curious, not furious. I heard, I saw another one recently that said, get curious, not judgmental, right? And so that's been a huge one um, that says he needs something. She needs something. <laughs> um, and, and here I tell my parents all this, my clients, self-compassion is huge. If I don't have compassion for myself, I cannot. So and, and it feels selfish, especially in the mom world to say, wait a minute, I got to care for myself first. But it's just like on the airplane. Right. They tell you put the air mask on you because you can't save nobody else without it. So even in those moments, I'm literally saying, wait a minute, <laughs> my body is kicking up to this response. And I start doing my own like stuff like I might rub my shoulders. I might jump up and down in the kitchen. I might, you know, say, hold on, I got to get a water with some straw in it because I've read that even a straw, drinking water from a straw does something to the brain. I have my own movements, uh, touch the back of my neck because that reminds you that you have your own back. So there are all these things that I am consistently trying to do to bring my body back into awareness. This is, this is now, that's a big one. This is your baby. You are safe. Whew, that one is huge. They just need you. And, and if I can even get myself to say it to them, it, it even helps them to know that they're being seen. You need me so much right now. This is something you cannot do. It's not that you won't do it. You can't do it. Mm. And, and that's a, like, cause that's a double-edged sword. I'm saying that for me <laughs> and I'm saying it for them so that they don't villainize themselves. So they don't become to say, oh, I'm so difficult. I'm such a hard child. And I will say for my oldest son, before I switched, that became, we're still fighting against that for him. That became his thought process. I'm a hard child. I'm working my mama nerves. Right. That can take a long time to heal. Oh, yeah. He he right now, because like I said, he went to time out. And so when he is in an emotional spot, he still will go to 100 really, really fast. How old is he now? He's 14 now. 14. So you had this awakening and this uh, journey start when he was two? Yeah, when he with was With your two. first? With my first. Uh, but again, it was a journey. So my three oldest children, they experienced traditional parenting. Um, I switched. It, it finally wholly flipped when he was about eight. So there was this six-year process of a little less, a little less, jump, cutting off that, cutting off that. <laughs> um, and then there was my husband. Hey, let's not go there. Because it, it, it became, okay, I've switched, but I got a whole husband who lived with a whole wife who did this. And now I'm asking him to switch too. <laughs> and with mm -hmm. his own, his own holding of his own rearing and triggers. And triggers. So when I finally made my switch and I told him, <laughs> his words were, well, you might not, but I am. Like, that's where we were. Okay. But that's why I tell even my clients, I'm like, you, the more conscious you are with your own spouse, <laughs> the more conscious you be with your kids, for one, and the easier it is for them to kind of come along. So when my husband did that, like I do with my clients, I didn't push back. Because I um, I knew what it was. And I just made sure that my children were never hurt by him. 
that was my that was my part. <laughs> and that's what I made sure that I did. And I let him walk into his his journey was much quicker. It took him two years. But I think his journey was much quicker because I was there being conscious with him and protecting my babies. I, I wish that my journey to change would have been quicker. So when my son, you know, does have his flare ups, that's that's another thing I say to myself, but not in a blaming way, just like, OK, you created this. It's OK, because you're also helping him heal always with the end. You are part of his healing. And that's huge. But remember, he was isolated a lot of times when he was a little boy. And this is scary for him. Mm, wow. Remind him I'm here. You're safe. I've, I've apologized. And I will. I'll apologize to him every time that it rears his head because he deserves it. Mm. I apologize. I was wrong. I should have never done that. Period. Not I didn't know. Not I didn't read. Not no, period. I should have not. It was never. You never deserved it. Mm. That's amazing. Mm. And then we breathe it out. We breathe it out because what else can we do? <laughs> Yeah, you show up for it. You just show up for those moments over and over. Over and over. And he's grown so much. So I don't, you know, as people listen, there is no, I've gone too far. I can't go back. Right. The brain is so powerful. And, and oh my gosh, these babies are so deeply connected to us. Hmm. He wants and is owning his own healing from a wound that I created, right? That's what I always tie it to. Right. I always tie it to because I never want to get in the space where I'm like, this too long. You should have been over this. It's been six years. <laughs> Even if I'm 60 and it's still happening, it's going to be the same apology because we know the brain keep the body keeps count, period. Tanisha, I really want to ask this burning question, which is like okay. one of the big reasons I, I wanted you here is so Kara and I both have one child, one child. And my one child, you know, pushes me to my edge. My one child, she doesn't do it. My history does it, you know, just parenting does it. But she's great. She's great. But um, I have a best friend who has two boys and and she's divorced and her children fight non-stop it's torturous to be around and she mm -hmm. doesn't know what to do she's trying everything she's trying everything she's trying to be non-coercive she's got her oldest therapist she's i mean she's just trying everything I, I don't even know how to help her honestly i mean we just talk about you know what what vivek talks about is like um what is it? Ping pong empathy, just empathy to this one, empathy to that one, you know, telling them, what do you what do you two think we should do? I mean, she's trying everything. But I, I'm I'm so curious about the relationships between your children and yeah, just how you deal with all of that. Yeah, um, I love this question. Right. <laughs> um, because I think I think at the root of it, childism can kind of lead that, right? Um, and so what I tell parents of multiple children is you are not the referee, right? You're not, you're on both children's sides. You're neutral. Like Vivek teaches, you know, you are, I call it the mediator. You are the bridge between getting them back together and making that bond because that's what they want. 
Right. And so I also tell people this, there is an absolute certain amount of bickering that creates a bond. Okay. <laughs> so you just, you just, you, you watch, you listen, you um, set these ground rules, right? Where you say, okay, everybody argues, everybody fights, but what things ruin our relationships with other people? Kids are very perceptive. They know hitting. Hitting is hard to forgive. They know calling names. Calling names is hard to forgive, right? And so we kind of, we set that as a, you know, me and my husband follow it, but everybody knows, like if there's hitting or name calling, we're calling a family timeout. And when my kids were four and two, my boys, I had two boys, so I get it. If I heard it heating up, at first I would wait, you know, is it gonna, is it gonna ill out? Are they gonna work it out? And if it if it got to hitting or names, then I would say, Oh boy, this is big. <laughs> right? This this is a neutral moment though, because this is normal. This is big. I might say that. I'm going to set the microwave timer for 60 seconds, okay? Go and do your own things. When you hear the beep, come back and play together again, right? I just, because that way nobody's in trouble. We just know when the emotions get too high, this isn't going to work out. And even the brain doesn't, it's not capable. So trying to work it out in that situation, I don't even think is, especially if they're younger, it's just not healthy. The better lesson is for them to, and I feel like my boys, ooh, they still do it. They get it. When one of them is getting highly elevated, they they naturally say, okay, we need a break. And they break from each other. They're 14 and 12 now. So part of it was teaching them, take a break, because those emotions go away. It, unless we intensify them and then create a ridge in our relationship. Mm -hmm. You can take a break and y'all can come back later. And most of the times, I'm trying to think back to those times. I don't think I had to do anything. They came back because they wanted to play together. Mm -hmm. And so they worked it out. Mm -hmm. And even with my big kids now, like they're 14, 12, 9, 7, 4. <laughs> we got the full range. And, and I think what people don't get with the more kids you have, the more compassion you have. Actually, it's not the more fighting you have. It's the more compassion you have. So if the 14-year-old hears the seven and the four-year-old fighting, he's going to do with them what I did. He goes to them and he's like, whoa, this is big. <laughs> do we need a break or can y'all figure this out? Right? Or if it's already happened and somebody has been hit, they turn on compassion because again, that's what they've been given. And so they're hugging and 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 wiping tears and they're like, oh, Zion, you got so mad you hit Simeon. What happened? <laughs> right. There's no room down on them. That's like, what happened? And then they'll my kids will talk each other through what he could have done. Zion, you could have told Simeon you wanted your toy. Simeon, you could have noticed that Zion was getting upset. And they work it out. Right. So I tell parents, focus on conflict resolution and not on stopping the fight. Mm -hmm. it's so, so different than what is taught right now. And a lot of the it is authoritative, but it's um labeled as gentle parenting advice. I'm sure you see it just on social media. It's like, you know. I know you're mad, but we don't hit. Right. And that's not what you're teaching. That's not what you're um, sharing. Because the mindset of conflict resolution and without shame, without blame, without judgment and neutrality is missing from that type of approach. Folks who have multiples, 
they will inadvertently struggle in the long run. When we get down to it, it's because one of the kids feels blamed. Yep. Usually there's a victim in the, yep. in the bigger families. There's usually a kid that is blamed most of the time. That kid then internalizes that and then they act accordingly to try to protect that relationship and gain that safety again in however that might serve them. And the resentment builds and the cycle repeats and repeats. So that's why I love what you're saying. It's keep that mindset as like our main tool that we yeah. remain neutral and that we extend compassion to every single child without that, that shame and the blame. Because this kids, they'll internalize that. Yeah. And they will become what you think of them, right? It becomes, uh, well, my parents expect me to fight. Hmm. You get more what you pay attention to. And if that's what's getting them instant attention, boom, why shouldn't we fight? <laughs> it gets my mama here instinct, you know, like instantly. And so I, I even tell and you work on conflict resolution outside of the conflict, <laughs> mm-hmm. outside of the conflict. And, and children are mindful. So, I, you know, you start afraid. It's like I notice that when you two play, sometimes you get so mad you hit each other. Have you noticed that? Then you're opening up this conversation and then you get to invite them in to say, but how do you feel after you've hit your brother? Because you do want to get to that. Absolutely. But not in the moment. (laughs) This is a before conversation or a three days later conversation. How does it feel? What would feel better in that moment? What, What would your best self like to do in that moment when you're getting so heated, you're about to hit your brother? And I, I tell this to my parents, it's called casting the vision. You tell your children what you see. I see you as two brothers who love each other so much that you struggle to get along. And that's absolutely normal. Normalize that. This is a relationship. And so, and then see what their goals are. Like, what, what kind of brothers do you want to be? <laughs> what What do you see in yourselves? And then, and so, yeah, it's a lot of, pre-teaching or post-teaching, but it's out outside of the situation. It's in a, it's in a calm, neutral moment mm. where, and even with your friend with you, where it becomes like, you know, okay, my children struggle to get along. And so you go into it knowing, okay, there's going to be a moment, maybe five, maybe 10 a day. And so you, I tell my parents, I always have a script already, something that you've already memorized that you're going to say. So that way you're not trying to think in the moment. You already like have. Like, oh, this is big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there was hitting. Woo. Oh, there's a struggle. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is conflict. Right. You want it so they can you want to get them in the mind state of my mama's not coming in to rescue. My mama's not coming in to save. My mama's not coming in to shame or shut me down. My mama's coming here as a mediator to help. Oh, it looks like y'all need help. I mean, your vo- I mean, you hear my voice. Like you almost have to lift up your voice so that it doesn't become oh, again. You know what I mean? It becomes a oh, you guys need my help. I'm right. your parent. <laughs> right. But you're doing you know, so have- much, you know, with all of that. You're doing a lot. There's so many things happening. The lightness and the and the without the shame and the judgment, and it's just amazing because it's there's so it's so actually complex. No wonder parents are coming to us for support with this. But once you practice it, it seems like it becomes so much more natural. Absolutely. Well, on the other end, I have to say a pet peeve of mine that I really can't stand is parents that say, and this is permissive parenting. They say, oh, they'll work it out. 
I, I have clients who say my parents said we would work it out. And then we spent our whole child viciously attacking each other. We never got help. And my parents would say, you two, we're not getting involved. You work it out. I hate that. That is when abuse happens. It's so sad and horrible. So that's yeah. not okay because no. kids need us. They can't regulate themselves. They can't figure it out. They don't figure it out. And they're lost without us. They need mm -hmm. guidance. They need mm -hmm. engagement. They need love. You need to bring love to the pain. They need love in the, those moments. Um, I, my daughter hit was a hitter because um, I mean, I made up that this is why, but we got, we got divorced and right around the divorce time when she started to have half her time without me, she started hitting yeah. me a lot, hitting me a lot, but also hitting other children. Yeah. And everyone kept saying to me, have you told her it's not okay to hit? I said, no, that's not how I talk to my kid. That's not how I talked to her. I never did. I never said that to her. And because I could see she actually didn't want to be hitting and she felt so much shame about it. And she couldn't, like you said earlier, she could not stop. And so I just keep showing up. I, it took me four years. It took four years of hitting for her to stop. And I got yeah. whacked. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's this childism that says she doesn't already know it's not okay to hit. Mm. That's right. what I hear about that language. I see you're mad. It's not okay to hit. They already know that. They're not getting yeah. the response they want from doing that. They can Anybody can see that. Even a one and a half year old, like my daughter. Yeah, they it's already not, know. It's, yeah. So they then they just feel, when you say it's not okay to hit, then they just feel like their own attachment figure doesn't love them right there, doesn't stay with them, that is leaving them. Say, that's not okay. So now we're separate and you're over there and the way you're acting, I, I'm not with you. You're alone. Love withdrawal. Love withdrawal. Right. Even words like you can't, right? It's, it is, it's definitely love withdrawal, right? Well, what do you mean by can't, Kara? Something like, well, obviously in my um, life, it's a lot of toddlers sort of fighting over toys and at the park and there's stuff like that. And parents will really jump to, yeah, I know you want the shovel, but you can't, you can't, won't, you know. Lots of instructional language that's meant to protect and obviously also sometimes um, protect the feelings of the other child, which, you know, I appreciate that uh, intention when I'm with my daughter and somebody comes and rips a toy out of her hands and she's crying and sobbing. Of course, I see what the parent's doing. They're trying to make it better. But when you use a word like you can't do that, well, the child already knows that. But they're just trying to get their need met in that moment, which is I was playing with that or mm -hmm. I really like what you have. And that is an is a very real feeling that we experience as adults as human beings from birth to the end of life that we want something that we have a desire that we have a need but to tell our kids you can't do that i don't think it's effective in the teaching of really what it is that the parent wants right and i also think that it shames the child and does exactly what we're talking about which is kind of removes our love and our real uh safe attachment in that moment because we put then our impo uh, imposition there instead we put our value over our relationship but Kara I bet someone's listening or many people are going well what else would you do most people have no other options that they're like well of course you would say you can't what else would you say yeah well Tanisha do you have any thoughts because you know working with all of those kids in those moments from in different ages I'd be curious what has worked for you when you've had that I know you kind of talked about it in the not being the referee, 
which I would yeah. say those parents, that's what they're doing. They're trying to solve in that moment and fix it. And so I have what I do, but I'd love to know what you do. Yeah. I always tell people focus on what they can do. Yeah. And not, you know, what you, what, what they can't do and really just um, focus on the message of their action. So a lot of times, you know, I step in, I say, well, you really wanted to play with that toy. You wanted that toy so much that you, so it's, it's narrating, right? And then if, if the other child is crying, then I'll invite them to look at that other child. Whoa, did you notice them crying? What's going on with them? Right. And if they're verbal, they can say, oh, they're sad. What? But why are they sad? And then they're able to say it. Right. And then you invite them. How can we make it better? What would make this right? I love that question. Mm. What would make this right? Right. And especially with my my boys, my four and seven year old, they still, you know, because they're, they're still there. So I step in with that. Like what happened? That's always a good first question. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Even if I watched it go down, what happened? Um, what can we do? You know, what can we do to make this right? And then if they don't have any ideas and then I ask, you know, can I, can I make some suggestions? Are there some, you know, can we take turns? Can I set a timer? And when the timer beeps, you give it to him. That one's a winner in this house a lot. And they're like, okay. Because they know that their turn is coming and it's a defined time. You know, it's not like when they get done playing with it. It's no, when the beat comes, we're going to switch and then we're going to set your timer and we're going to switch. So, yeah, the language switches from what you can't do to what what can we do in this situation and and helping the kids to see it because they do see it. They're like, oh, that wasn't effective, <laughs> but I ain't had no other school. You know, I didn't have no other tools. So <laughs> I no, call it a problem solving ski it's a faulty problem solving tool that's yeah. they just want to solve a problem you know what i love about that is that you're talking about instead of shifting from control into straight up collaboration so you're getting in there and you're saying well what can we do and i'll i'll do that we'll brainstorm because they can come up with stuff at that age or yeah. well i'll say i wonder if we could all play together and then instead of using those things that they've been we did this yesterday at the park it was uh two different um buckets that the, the the girls were fighting over. And I just got in there. So I wonder if we can make two different things, ice cream and soup. And then we started digging with the buckets and we did that for a few minutes. And I was able to step away after a bit while they just played. Yeah. So I think it's about getting creative, but getting collaborative. Every time. Yeah, like, like, uh, what, the, oh, I do a lot of like where I play stupid. I'll be like, I don't know what to do. Yeah. I'll be like, oh my gosh, what should we do? You know, should we do this? Should we do that? What do you think? You know, just act like really like, I'm clueless. I'm clueless, you know, and then kids always have ideas. They always, always have ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, they and a lot, also, I, a lot of things I do, I did with my daughter in conflict was I would always make it about me because they would, I would get them on the same team against me in a funny way that they were oh. hitting or they, I'd be like, let's get a pillow. You guys hit me. And then they would hit the pillow and run around and hit me, you know, so they joined together, you know, yeah, I say, she called me a, ding dong or whatever i'd be like i'm the ding dong call me a ding dong and they both start going ding dong ding you know and then then i'm the focus and it takes and then now they're playing together and yeah i like to play the clown stupid person you know and a fearless oh. like you can do yeah. anything to me you can but vic has a good uh, i love memorizing his quotes he has an excellent quote where he says validate the impulse and then redirect the behavior yes hmm. That's a Vivek thing? Yeah. <laughs> Validate the, the impulse. 
a lot of people are weary of the tool redirection, but it's a well-known, long, you know, standing, uh, very useful one that like educators and parents and folks of all time have used that it's not, um, I don't think it's, it's nothing to be like knocked, you know, it's a great tool. Yeah. Yeah. You guys, there's also a negative part of redirecting that parents do that I don't like, which is their child is having big feelings. And they say, want to do this? Want to do that? Look over here. Do you need to watch a video? Yeah. That's not to, the fix kind of re- to fix it, right? To fix, to make the pain or the suffering go away. Yeah. Right. And not they show want up. To redirect out of that, but that's not what we're saying. <laughs> okay. Tell Mm-mm. me what redirecting you're saying. What do you say? It's kind of like what you did with the ding dong thing. Um, uh, validating the impulse would be like, yeah, it makes sense when you get upset to call a person a name. I think that's what happened here, right? Mm-hmm. So you validate that impulse. And then you redirect it. Call me a ding dong, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you redirected it in that in that way. Vivek has a wonderful example where a two year old kept biting. They were wrestling, and the two year old kept biting. And so he validated it by saying, "It's fun to bite, right? Like that's true." And so he picked up a pillow and he started biting the pillow. And he was like, "Bite the pillow with me," and that's what. That's redirecting the behavior to something appropriate that he could bite. And so every time they started wrestling and he was almost about to bite, Vivek would pull out the pillow and be like, let's bite the pillow. And then they would bite. Uh Tanisha, I want to mention to people who don't know that you're a homeschooling mom. You homeschool five children. And um, I watched some of your videos. Okay. And your children look so happy. Praise the Lord. <laughs> they look so full of joy. And and when you talk about them, you talk about them with such joy. And and your um your partner looks your your husband. Is it your husband? Mm-hmm. He he looks very joyful too. I just saw a lot of joy in the in the videos of your kids. I don't know if you want to say anything about that. That's um right, one of the highest compliments you could give to me. Like seriously. Um because Joy is like everything, right? And and you only get one childhood, right? And just to have children, especially like because people have so many negative thoughts about big families, right? And we, my kids have started to notice it when we come in a place, people might grunt or like make a face because the assumption is we bring in the ruckus, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who, what's going to happen? They got five kids. But and so um, to know that, to know that my children are, you know, they're seen as joyful, but no, they are joy filled kids who just like to be around people and go places and be with us. Like it's a big honor that our kids tolerate, <laughs> tolerate what we invite them to do with us. Like, you know, my daughter plays a game with her dad like every night. Like there are certain things that they have just orchestrated to intensify the relationships they have with us where it doesn't feel like there's not enough. Cause I know that's a lot of what people say. Oh, if I don't have enough to pour into one, two, how in the world can they pour into five? Well, right. it's very intentional work. Mm-hmm. 
because I want my children to not only look joyful, but I want them to feel joyful. Even like today, so I'm doing this podcast and we do homeschool. My son usually doesn't start until 10, but I just went to him and I was like, listen, I have a, a, a something I've planned. Can we start your school at eight o'clock today so that we can have this out of the way and we don't start later? And he was like, sure. Right. Like he was like, OK, let's do it. Wow. Mom. Amazing. But why? Right. And I just I just uh, I just think it's because it's a relationship when he wants to do something out of the ordinary. And I'm like, oh, OK, you know, I'm not beating against him. Like, no, that's not it. We're not going to do that. The the mode of our home is do you have an idea that would work? OK, let's try it. And so it passes down for when me or my husband have something that needs to change. And they're like, okay, let's go with it. Because we keep our word. I think that's huge. We keep our word to them and we don't overpower them to say, I'm the adult, do it my way. You don't like it too bad. Grow up and learn to be overpowering yourself. You know what I mean? Like, no. I think because of childism, people really believe that children are always trying to get one over on you. They're always trying to manipulate and make your life terrible or something. And, and people don't understand in this mindset, right? The more you care about your child, the more they care about you. You know, my daughter has started asking me every day now, how are you doing mom? How's your day? I'm like shocked. Every time she asks, I'm like, what, why are you asking? What's happening? But now I just go, oh, thank you so much for asking. And I slow down. I tell her how my day is going. Like, wow, I never thought that would happen. Yeah, I get a little sad when I get so surprised, right, by it. But I have to remember I'm fighting against the childism that I grew up with, too. I'm fighting against a culture of children going to try to run over you. Like, it's everywhere, you know? So when I... That's how I keep myself from shaming myself. <laughs> I remind myself, okay, Tanisha, you're fighting against what you've been, you know, programmed to believe about children too. You're fighting against, like my 14-year-old, you know, he started high school. They gave him three books to choose from. And he comes to me and says, which book would you recommend, mommy? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> Oh, wow. That is so beautiful. I love that. Oh, my goodness. It's so breathtaking. Even my daughter recently, her friend up the street had a birthday and she has money saved over from her chores and she's on the own computer buying. I'm like, what you buying? Oh, I'm just buying her a birthday gift. Oh, right. Because society would say she's going to tell me to buy that, but, you know, to buy her friend a gift. And she could have. And I absolutely would have bought it. Right. Right. But she didn't. She took it upon herself to go online, use her own money and order a gift for her friend who she loves enough to spend her money on. Mm. The belief that that I'm raising my daughter to be an entitled spoiled brat. Um, it's just really helpful to hear, especially with the older kids, how that just is not what happens with this approach and this mindset. That's just not what happens. No, it's why I write so many stories about my babies, mm-hmm. um, because I do want to dispel that. And I've even, you know, tagline it, tagline it with these conscious kids. Right. Because typically <laughs> there's this negative connotation. Oh, these conscious kids. I'm like, no, these are the conscious kids that we are raising. This is what's happening inside of them every single day. 
where because we've considered their thoughts and their preferences, they are now, but not that, listen, they are not pushovers. Mm. <laughs> That's one thing that you will never find in a conscious kid. Like they know how to stand up for themselves and they know how to stand up for others. So like even, I'm because I'm not perfect at this. I tell my clients this. I want everybody to know that when I mess it up, my kids fix it because they point it out. That's And I think that's one of the fears that traditional parents have is like, I don't want my kids calling me out. Well, listen, mm. I absolutely want my kids calling me out. And they do <laughs> with confidence, mama, that's not right. And I have to stop, right? Stop, address myself and make it right with them and thank them for telling me like, and thank you for not letting me overpower you. My, my daughter, who's almost 12, She's so funny because she'll say, mom, we're non-coercive. What are you doing? I'll go, oh, you're right. I tried. I really tried. We'll have a laugh. Yeah. She uses the language. <laughs> She's got the language. She'll be like, "That, that's not what we're doing. I'm like, right, right, right. And sometimes I'm like in my head, I'm like, can't just this one time you just do what I fucking say? Just, <laughs> just this once. <laughs> and then you get to the point where you're like, thank you. Thank you for no. not. But man, one of the things yeah, that I ahead. always say to my kid, even though she's 18 months, I say, I respect your no. I respect it. And I got to let it go. I have really have to do a lot of letting go. That's hard to do, though, in the context of things like when they're at the park and, and the other parents aren't doing those things because they're oh, they're really, really afraid that they're the way that they're playing is going to create a bad habit and a rod for their back and a disobedience and and all these things. So um, what I'm doing and saying, I respect your no to a little tiny toddler that doesn't really even talk. I think people think I'm crazy. I think they think I'm crazy. I think they think I'm some, I don't know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my husband kind of learned to just embrace that mm. <laughs> because if not, it'll drive you loopy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I remember at um, we were on vacation and it was with my mother-in-law and my sister-in-law's mama and um, my sister-in-law's mother said, oh, they run y'all, I guess. In the, and yeah, they do. <laughs> What's the big deal? <laughs> like I just because right. could have been a statement where I could have, you know, bristled. But um, I, I do a lot. I call it reframing. Yeah. She sees it as they run us. And that makes sense because she has no idea what this parenting style is. Um, she's filled with fear herself, maybe even guilt herself because she's reminded of how she overpowered, you know, because I think people don't want to admit that it doesn't feel good to overpower your child. Yeah. But if you've buried it or you've normalized it and you see somebody else who's not doing it, it's going to awaken in you. That, that guilt that you don't even let yourself feel. Right. And then you're going to judge, but also people judge because they can't open to it. It's so scary. Like the people you said are like, got to go. I, I cannot possibly open to this, you know, right. and we are showing them that we're showing them a whole other way. And it's scary for people. Yeah. And I think it awakens their inner child too in a deep, deep way. Mm. Because you are watching a child be given something that you would deny. And if you have never taken the time to tell your sweet inner child you deserve better, but then you see another child getting it, like you feel like you have to protect that inner child in you that's really crying out, right? But if it was never heard, you just want that inner child to shut up, right? Like it's so much deeper than what's on the surface. 
Right. That's deep work. When I think about the inner child, when I think about the inner child of traditional parents who, like you said, Kara, are looking at you like you are crazy. I feel a lot of compassion. Then, then I can turn on my compassion for, man, it must be really hard to not hear that inner child saying, you can give your child better. She can give her child better. <laughs> Instead of, you know, I, I talk with my, my clients a lot about the jealousy of their inner child. It's going to show up. Mm-hmm. Even though I was given the best that my mama had to give, my inner child still gets jealous of my children sometimes. A lot of times. Yeah. It's going to show up loud and very immature. Right? <laughs> Having that jealousy show up and, oh, I wish I had this. It's, it's sad. It's deeply sad. Deeply sad. It that is was sad. Biggest challenges. Yeah. Because it's over for us. I mean, it's, it is and it isn't. Right. I like that you added that because I will tell my, go ahead and play like a kid. <laughs> go ahead and play like the kids you couldn't right. play. Mm-hmm. If you want to go to the festival and your child doesn't, go to the festival. Get your face painted. <laughs> if they let you get in the bounce house get in that bounce house <laughs> yeah eat cereal all day long you're not like give your, <laughs> give yourself those things that you were denied as a child that should have been yeses right go ahead you only got three pieces of candy eat yourself five to ten pieces of candy <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Enjoy that. Like, go you give yourself those things that you didn't get to have as a child as that gift to your inner child. So they won't be so jealous. They can say, oh, you're going to give me something special later? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, Booby. Yeah. Okay, I was going to say, can we just spend a little bit of time on sleep? Yeah. Sleep came up before we started recording or whatever. And and that sleep, I don't know, if, Tanisha, I also coach parents and sleep is one of the primary subjects that parents bring up uh, where parents absolutely lose their shit and including me. <laughs> and uh, I, I, you just said something at the very beginning off the cuff about letting go of sleep. I think my whole life could change if I could stop trying to get a good night's sleep. I swear to God, everything could change for me. I saw an opening in just that little moment you were talking to Kara. I am still I'm still in a power struggle with my kid every single night around midnight. Even though I don't want to be and I'm trying so hard and I'm working early on my early material of who kept me up and when I didn't get sleep and what happened and who hurt me at night and she's not that and I'm working my ass off because she's almost 12 and I've been triggered by this for her whole damn life. So please help me. (laughs) Okay. So first, um, I think the mindset change, uh, it switches from being a scarcity mindset to an abundance mindset. If you think that you're not going to, that there's not enough sleep for you to have, then you're always going to be like, oh, you're making me lose what I could have had. But if you switch it to an abundance mindset, like there's enough sleep, there's going to be, I'm going to get enough sleep, right? If I don't know when, 
I don't know if I'll get an extra amount the next night, or maybe my body is going to adjust the four. But if, if it is lined up that I'm only getting this amount, then this is enough. Like there's an abundance. There's a, there's not a scarcity. So kind of just letting go of that. Uh, and because that would trigger fear, this fear of I'm not getting enough. Then you can switch it to, I'm going to get just what I need. Tanisha, this is hard. How do you get parents to move from the fear to the change? Cause I had like severe insomnia after I had my daughter. Um, I didn't sleep for months really. And uh, it did, it did lead me to actually like have like real cognitive issues. So Mm -hmm. I go back to that and I'm like, God, you know, she woke up last night for a bit and it's never going to be that again with her because that was such a different newborn breastfeeding situation. So it's never going to be that again. But my brain is is afraid. I'm on fight or flight thinking, oh, it's going to be this again. I'm going to go back. And it's actually preventing me from even wanting to have another child, even though I know I do. But I'm living in this fear, you know, and like, how do you get parents to move from the fear to the change? It's it's a whole lot of reflecting, right? Um, Really, just if you if you can write it, write out all of those fears, right? Just go ahead and give them the air that they need. And then even reading them back yourself and, and even tweaking them then, right? So if your brain is like, I'm never going to sleep again, go back to that sentence and say, no, I will sleep again. I will get enough sleep in time. It's almost like a growth mindset switch mm. where you, you write down all the instant fears that your body is naturally going to kick up because it's protection. That's what your brain is. The the brain is uh, not designed to heal. <laughs> it's just designed to survive. So you got to accept what your brain is doing. It's just trying to survive. And then you have to intentionally later on bridge that gap with your brain by saying, no, we're going to thrive. And and I, even with inner child work, I tell them to thank their inner child. So it's almost like you have to thank your brain. Like, oh, my goodness. Thank you, brain. <laughs> you are doing what you are designed to do. You're trying to help me survive this. And so you add on that growth mindset with those thoughts. I'm afraid I won't sleep again. It's not true. I will sleep again. But it's a work. Like, it's a... You know, my oldest son, he's very good about that. He hates the growth mindset talk (laughs) because he's like, it's not true, mommy, but it's not true. It can be right because we can the brain is plastic. So if you can say it, your brain will begin to think it and put it into action. You will you'll get what you believe. He hates that one, too. But you get what you think. So if you think this is enough sleep for me, guess what your body will do? It'll react as if it's true. You know, I I talk a lot to people about what you prioritize. And are you prioritizing the connection with your kid or are you prioritizing getting them in the car or getting them dressed or in this case, going to sleep? Because I'm so triggered. I'm definitely when it hits about midnight, I start to prioritize my sleep over my child. I'm probably giving her a freaking sleep complex now because every I turn into a jerk at about midnight and she knows it, you know, um, but she still doesn't. She still pushes at at midnight. She will still push to stay up. It doesn't matter how triggered I get or, you know, whatever. Is she sleepy, though? You think? She gets like a third wave, like right around midnight. We're trying all different things, but I think it's because we're in a power struggle. Um, 
you know, we don't have a lot of power struggles, but this is a spot where we do. And she's so funny because she always has to pee a million times because I, I lie there until she falls asleep. That's how we do it. And so she'll be like, I have to pee again. And, I, and I'll be like, I'll be like, Tori, I cannot get up another time. I don't usually talk to her like this, but this is how I talk. I can't get up another time. I'm so exhausted. It is now 1215. And she'll wow. say, and she'll be like, Mom, why are you arguing when you know in a minute you're just going to get up and do it? And I'll be like, you're right. And then I'll just get up and do it. <laughs> right, right, She'll be right, like, right. just skip the argument and just do it. So I'll be like, can we, you know. Yeah. Uh, and what I'm seeing in this little talk we're having so far is that I am definitely making my sleep more important than her. Mm -hmm. I definitely am. Yeah. Because I believe I, I don't have enough and she's hurting me. She is hurting me. I believe she is hurting me when it hits midnight. Yep. So, and, and I want you to know that she can feel that energy. I know. And it's gonna, uh, because they're so in attuned to us, right? So if she can even feel a little bit of, I'm trying to pull away from you, she's going to extend, you know? So, and I, I say this because I, I've been there. Like I know this journey, <laughs> I know this journey well. And I will tell you the mind switch that had to happen for me okay. was, Every minute that you give, every minute that you're glad to be around them, they're going to ease into going to sleep because they know that you're glad to have every minute that you have to be around them. So you're, you're right. It's a mindset thing that you'll in time give yourself space and grace and compassion because it becomes like I had to start at like seven o'clock. I had to start the self-talk that says, OK. You're ready for them to go to bed. But if they get a sense of that, they're not going to want to go to bed. <laughs> so, so you got to work on this whole idea of if you don't never go to bed, I'm going to still be happy with you. It's a mind switch. <laughs> Would it be weird if I said to her, um, I'm realizing I'm still like I'm I'm not being loving at night and I, I'm so sorry it's not what I want. I really don't want to treat you that way. It's not about you. This is my stuff. But would it be useful to say, I'm going to let go of trying to push you to be asleep by minute? Or do you think I should not let go of that? Um, I think you should. But I, and I think you should be very authentic and genuine with what you've been doing. Right. Where you can. Um, because, again, that always invites them to do the same. Right. So you say, I've noticed about myself that when it gets midnight, I get anxious and I start trying to make you go to bed. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's wrong. It's not, you know, like, yeah, just on, that's my fault. And I'm going to I'm going to pull away from that because I know it's not right. I still want you to go to bed as close to midnight as you possibly can. <laughs> <laughs> okay. OK, I can still hold that, that that's what I want, but I can work yeah, on my. Right. If you feel like that is even doable for her. Right. Like if there's a, I guess in this um, moving from fear to change, right? Like, is there a way to move to a collaboration while keeping the safety of the conversation and the relationship as the priority? Because I love that. I could just ask her. I right. Could, I, we, I could say, I'm not sure what to do. I, should I mm -hmm. let go of trying to be asleep by midnight? What do you think? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, just hear her. Um, because my yeah. daughter is late. She's a late one too. And she can stay up to midnight too. And I was, you know, I, I engage with her. I'm like, babe, it's the end of the day. I'd like some time away with my with your daddy and just doing nothing, not being somebody's mommy. Um, are you okay with laying here by yourself until you fall asleep? 
right? At a certain time, I'll ask her, like, can I step away? Can I come back and check on you in five minutes? Like something like that where I can just, because she still needs me, but also, you know, I need me. Right. <laughs> and so I invite her into a problem solving way. Right now, it's that she sleeps really close to the door of my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard someone say that their uh, their young child, maybe four or three, had a picture, a printed picture of their mommy under their pillow. That's what they figured out together. Oh, awesome. I love that. But Something you know, what's I always hard about this is that, like you said, right now I'm still living in that depletion sort of mindset where I'm like, oh, I actually yeah. can't function. I can't be the mom I want to be. That's where my brain goes because I really want to be mm-hmm. present with her and I want to be awake and I want to be you know, I want to be, I'm going to be triggered tomorrow and I'm going to be angry at her and I'm going to resent her. And I don't want to resent her. I just want her to sleep through the night. And, you know, I'm curious about when your kids were young and the night waking is more common. Did you just respond and just hold them? And, you know, were you quick to kind of, or would you check in? You know, there's so many approaches for parents of young kids. You mean as far as helping them to fall asleep? Yeah. 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 So I've always like, I still rock my four-year-old to sleep. Yeah. Like I am, <laughs> um, I just, I just, I, I, I call it night parenting. Mm-hmm. I think for me, when I switched it to call it night parenting, it kind of flowed into, you were never told that you get to cut off <laughs> when you parent, mm-hmm. right? You were never told that. And so I just had certain things that I knew I would, I couldn't, like, they just didn't go with me. Like, I don't do co-sleeping. I know lovely families that do, but I don't. So when my children would come to me, I go to them. I would go to their room and I would lay down where they were at so they could fall back asleep. But the, um, the consistency was this is sleeping time. So even if you can't go to sleep, we're just going to lay quietly. So what ended up happening is I could fall back asleep even if they just kind of laid there awake reading a book or drawing like I just I just developed this mindset of they're gonna get the sleep they need I'm gonna get the sleep I need yeah no that's really helpful for me because right now we have a crib and no other really area for me to go into her room with her so I have to bring her into mine because she won't like sleep on me she has to kind of be lying down she's really long so she needs room and then I can't co-sleep. I have never been able to, like you said, you know, I find that really difficult. I can't fall asleep if she's there in my bed. I'm worried she's going to fall off. I'm worried I'm going to roll on her and I've got too much anxiety. So I can't do that. So I, I I find that helpful because I think if I could find a way to go in there with her, maybe we need a little bed on the floor or something that uh, that would really help with my anxiety. And ah. again, you're telling me right now, even though I've thought about this, it's always good to hear it from someone else though that I'm still then collaborating. Cause you just said like, you've got your need, which is I can't co-sleep. We don't do that. That's just one of my things, but I can go and lay with her, but with her crib, I can't. So I think maybe the crib is the barrier that I need I- to collaborate with her on in this way. That's really, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. My oldest, he came to get me. I mean, I think he just stopped at like 12. So Rithia, <laughs> there's some hope there. <laughs> at 12 he would be like can you come lay on the floor beside me yes yes I can (laughs) well well the thing is um I tell people this even though I give I have such an attitude about this late night thing um from about 11 to 12 is when my daughter tells me everything 
11 to 12, it, during the day, she doesn't want to talk about anything. She doesn't want to tell me anything. But at 11 o'clock when she's soft and she's tired, she just starts spilling your guts and asking me questions. And we cuddle. Like, we don't cuddle during the day. We cuddle right then. I hold her. I, like, rub her hair. You know, sometimes I massage her. So oh, even though I'm complaining about this thing, it's actually also my favorite time with her. You know, that's a contradiction right there. Yeah. I don't want that to end. I love that. That's how I get to know her, really. Yeah, it makes sense. And and I mean, because the body does what it does. So it, <laughs> it makes sense that whatever is about midnight for you is is what it is. And you can collaborate to kind of figure out how do you get a, I call it a win-win, right? How do we get a win-win out of this? Yeah. It does apply to everything. That mindset, it applies to every, there's not anything we could talk about today that wouldn't, we couldn't go there with it, you know? No. Also feeling time scarcity is a huge issue of mine. It's whiteness too. It's like a big, big part of whiteness. Everything's urgent and time and everything's in boxes and you got to get here, you know, like time is all little box. Yeah. And I'm self-employed. So like, I've always got to like get everything done and, and it's, it really feels terrible. And I, I, I want to work on that for me, not just for her. That's huge. Yeah. When um, my husband and I have been to Africa for short-term mission trips three times. And one of the quotes, African proverbs that stands out is, you know, Africans have time. Americans have watches. Oh, right. oh, my God. <laughs> oh God, that really gets me. Wow. So true. So oh. sad. So that tragic. is that does it's heartbreaking, isn't it? I mean, people yeah. give up their relationships with their children to get to school on time for oh. time, for time, time, right? Yeah. To right. be efficient, to be efficient, to be productive, and they honestly believe they're helping their children because they think they're Amen. making their child functional. It's like, well, this is how you make a child functional: you make them do all these things all day. Well, Tanisha, let me ask you this, because I'm sure you have parents that say, well, I can't do what you do because I don't homeschool. You know, I'm a single parent and I've got four kids and they got to get to daycare and they got to get to school and we got to drive around and we got to get the bus. It's like that is a very real another fear that prevents people from thinking about it in this way, you know? Yeah, Um, because it's more work. Mm -hmm. And so I tell those parents um, it's more work on the front end, right? Um, this is a like a, it's a conversation where you are forthcoming because again you're building this mutually beneficial relationship. So you have to be forthcoming with your child first. You got to see your child as capable and willing to work with you, and that's always the first barrier. My kids ain't gonna want, but did you ask them? <laughs> right? Did you ask, or did you just assume that they would automatically fight back? And they say, no, I didn't ask. Well, then that's what you go to them and you say, in the morning, I've noticed that we have a hard time getting out on time. What are your ideas for how we can get out on time? And even asking, do you understand why I try to get us out on time? Because I think people just assume that kids wouldn't care. (laughs) And so they never tell them. 
or, or they assume that kids already know. <laughs> so they don't want to, you know, it's so weird. I'm like, just just engage with them and let them know what happens if you're not out the house at a certain time and to this place at a certain time. So then then you awaken the compassion that children naturally have. OK, they don't want you to be late for work. They don't want you to be stuck in traffic. If they if they know that your boss is going to be mean, you know, like let them know yeah. so that they can awaken that. Oh, I didn't know that. Let's see what we can do because I, and it's not this boom and doom like a, I need you to change because you making me get in trouble. No, right? That's the wrong. It's this invitation to say, I need to be vulnerable with my child in a way that doesn't violate the relationship, right? But just in a way that invites them to, like I say, awaken that compassion where they can say, this can help me. But this is the thing though, parents have to be willing to switch up some stuff. If you gung-ho on your child taking a shower in the morning, but your child is telling you they do better with a shower at night, you're going to have to switch it and fix whatever it is in your mind that makes you feel, you know, go back to your childhood. Did your mama tell you you were dirty if you didn't take a bath in the morning? Switch it. <laughs> because what you're doing is you're creating a bad relationship with your child based on a rule that you made up that they don't have to follow. So meeting with the children and tweaking that in a way that gets you what you both want. They want a healthy morning. You want to get to work on time. Y'all can bridge it, but it's going to take work and it's going to take collaboration. And mine's going to take, it's going to take attention, like some, some real attention and, and, and an investment like you do in our partnerships. It, it's the same thing. It's, you know, it's not like saying, well, let's put up a schedule and we'll just do this at five, you know, every day and you have to follow it. And if you don't, then there's a consequence. It's not a formula. Yeah. And those formulas don't work anyway, because right. they get that short term, maybe that short term benefit with these long term real sense, sense of power struggle and inequality in the relationship. I'm glad you brought that up too, because, you know, I already talked about rigidity and, um, just this idea of fairness. I think when people think of a big family, they think, how do you make it fair? I don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't fairness. Um, we strive for getting needs met. Like that's what drives what we do in our family. My 10 year old uh, started writing in his, in his homeschool. One page a day was his writing. When my 12 year old was 10, that was his assignment too, but he couldn't. And so he didn't, he didn't start his writing until he was 12 when he was ready. Mm -hmm. So then when my 10 year old got to 10, he didn't fight back against it because again, it was about needs. Mm -hmm. He It was about being ready. And so he knew 12 year old, his brother wasn't ready at 10, mm -hmm. but he as a 10 year old is. And so he does it with no problem because again, there's never been this rule of we do everything the same. We make everything fair. Right. We don't. Right. That is such a good piece of advice for folks with many kids. Yeah. That is a big one. Yeah. And I think families don't realize that they create that because mm -hmm. children will feed into it. They try to blame the kids, but it's they will feed into it if you're always like that. Oh, you got shoes? I'm going to make sure I get you some shoes. But did they need shoes? <laughs> right? Like you went out with daddy. So I got to make sure you go out with daddy. Right. If they want to, but really right. feed into the need, not into this rigid, you did it. 
you get it. You know, because control makes you feel like mm-hmm. that's why you're failing, right? That's where it is, is because I'm not aligning to the the schedule that we all came up with and the screen time limits and the food limits and the this and the that. That's not they're, oh they they think, oh, I just need more control. Now yeah, work. Just need more control, more rules. I did a I did a video, I think it was yesterday, about you know, even with teens, right? They're always like, Well, they're not responsible. So I'm gonna take their stuff. Um you're going to take the things that you want them to practice learning responsibility on (laughs) as a way to teach them to be like, that's the most bad. If you want your child to be responsible, then you give them more opportunities to show responsibility, not I'm going to take away your stuff because you're not being responsible with it. Like it's. Or preventing access to it. Like I'm thinking about parents who limit their kids access to things like phones when they're in school and all their kids, all their friends and peers have phones. And it's in the parents, in their mind, their best interest to protect their kids from accessing, you know, the things that they're afraid of online and having all access to phones and in the room and the things. Very real, understandable fears. But it's just like that, preventing their access to then actually practice with that thing, the responsibility that the parents are trying to really instill in the first place. Right. Children want to be responsible. They enjoy it. It's empowering. And when they're ready, when they're ready, when they're not ready, it's not. And when they are ready, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Every single time. My four-year-old is so driven and it's so aggravating, right? (laughs) But he is so driven. Like if he wants a snack, like I I could come downstairs and he fixing himself peanut butter crackers. I'm like, but you could have asked me. It would have been so much, <laughs> but he is so, and so I have to pull back the thought where I'm like, what? He took a Right. Right. He pulled a table over there to the counter and he got the peanut butter out. He, so I'm like, oh man, pull it back. And but I, I read a, a really good article that defined parenting as bringing forth. <sighs> right. And that was so much powerful. Like, it's like, because Traditional parenting believes parenting is pouring in or pulling out, you know, or like pouring in, pulling out. But if it's bringing forth, then that means it's already in them. Mm. All we're doing is making space for it to come out. I love that. I love that. You know what it is? It's like looking at it from the perspective of like power over versus empowerment, right? Like a top down approach, which is behaviorism versus like attachment theory, which is bringing forth, like you said, the sense of empowerment and you can do it. And I'm, I'm here to guide you through right out. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, Tanisha, first of all, if you would come back sometime, because <laughs> yeah. I'm not done and I love talking to you and this has been great. So yeah, great. Absolutely. With with joy. Oh, <laughs> okay. I love that. And um, I just experienced you, Tanisha, as so embodied, like you're so in your body. You really invite me to keep dropping into my body when we're talking, like really come out of my head and drop into my heart, drop into my body. Thank, Thank you for that. Yeah, thank you for telling me. That's so important. I feel like my mama did that so well for me. Mm -hmm. So anytime I can give that gift, which is such a powerful, especially for women, right? It's such a powerful gift to be able to have. And she did that so well. So I want to, yeah, thank you for telling me that. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, this was so uh, touching and really emotional for me. You know, I teared up a couple of times listening to you because it is just um, your your words that you write on Facebook and hearing you talk really reminds me of what I stand for and how I can do that again, even when I feel triggered and feel like I can't. You really bring me back to, yes, I can. And here's how I can. Do you want to tell anybody about how to find you or what's the best way or what you offer before you go? Yeah, um, I'm I'm on Facebook mostly right now. It's Kid Advice with Tanisha Henderson. So um, on that page, there is my email. There is my website. Um, there are the things I'm offering about. I do coaching. I do one-on-one coaching. And next year, I'm doing a Be a Better Parent All Year program where I teach a tool mm. once a week. So by the end of the year, you end up with 52 tools <laughs> that wow. you can just, like pull out and be confident in because that's really, you know, I'm working myself out of a job. I don't want to, <laughs> you know, I don't want people to always feel like they have to get it from me. I really want them to know it's inside of you. You just have to, you know, bring it forth. And I know, I know parents like to have tools. So I want to present some tools that you have in your tool belt that you can pull out when needed. And we'll include the link. We'll include the link to your Facebook page in the show notes. This has been Your Kids Don't Suck. You can find me, Kara Tedstone, at www.karatedstonetherapy.com and on Instagram at karatedstonetherapy. On my website, you'll find links to recommended readings and a link to my Reparenting with Mindfulness workbook, available now on Amazon. You can find me, Rathia Lee, at www.rathia.com. That's R-Y-T-H-E-A.com. There you'll find published books, articles, and music, and parenting videos. Also, I'm on TikTok at Rathia Lee, on Instagram at Rathia Lee. You can book parent mentoring sessions with me through my website. And also, I have an advice from a loving bitch YouTube show that helps people heal self-hatred, and that's rathia.com slash advice. It is important and essential to put our voices, Rathia and Kara, in a context. We are two white, cisgendered, straight, middle-class women living with financial and societal privilege. Because of this, our perspectives are limited and do not reflect the realities of all of our listeners. This podcast will feature guests with expertise around conscious parenting who differ in race, class, abilities, sexual orientation, and histories from us to broaden the conversation and reflect the lives of as many people as possible. 25% of the proceeds of this podcast will go to creators of color who have been mentors and influences on our work and in our growth as parents. If you like our show, please subscribe and stay tuned for more conscious parenting advice and insights. And check out our link tree at linktr.ee slash your kids don't suck to donate and connect with us.